Dear Heavenly Father, we pray now as we open your word, we would first of all remind ourselves that it is your word, that it was divinely delivered through a supernatural process from your Holy Spirit through the hand of the writer, uh, using the writer's personality and own experiences and testimony to record exactly what you want us to have. So, Father, help us to understand that when we look into the pages of our Bibles, we're looking into the face of Jesus. Because ultimately, you have given us your word that we might know your son. So, Father, there's not a person here this morning that is not or has not struggled with different kinds of problems of their own and maybe with others. Our prayer is that you would help us to see that the scriptures are completely sufficient and authoritative to address all of the problems of the human condition. That we don't need to dilute it or integrate it or prop it up with other psychologies, therapies, ideologies. That it can stand all on its own. And more powerfully than any other. Uh, So, Father, our prayers that you would deeply increase our confidence in the Bible that we hold in front of us. Uh, That we would remember that it was out of love that you left us with your word. uh, So that we might have a light uh, for our path. uh, That we might have a guide on our way. Uh, And, Father, I pray that we would see in very real practical ways that the scriptures are true uh, when they address the things uh, that we all struggle with in our common uh, human condition. Teach us to place our trust only in you, only in your word, only in your Holy Spirit. Uh, And that process of learning to trust, we know, is scary, sometimes painful, But it is always rewarding, always fulfilling, deeply satisfying uh, in a way like no other. Uh, And so may we experience that in our everyday lives. Uh, Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for our visitors that have joined us today. Uh, May we be strengthened and encouraged uh, by your word, uh, by the fellowship with one another uh, and by the fact that we know that our Lord Jesus is right here in our midst with us. Uh, And so as we confess our sins freely before you, we pray for healing. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for refreshing or refreshment. Uh, And we thank you for all of your many blessings. May we be a people of gratitude uh, and thankfulness. And it's in our Savior's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the theme of Vacation Bible School has been Ocean's Commotion. The kids are spending time in Genesis, uh, looking especially at uh, the global flood of Noah. And I wanted us to look into some things with Genesis as well. Uh, So we began a little series last week. We'll continue today. We'll finish it next week. Uh, I'm no prophet, but that's the plan. Uh, So... They're looking. Oh, I forgot to take the emoji off of there. Last Sunday was global emoji day. So maybe there's a little left over there. Sorry. Uh, But rather than oceans commotion, we're going to look at the sufficiency of scripture 
in the book of Genesis dealing with all of our emotions commotion. Uh, that the scriptures are sufficient and able uh, to help us with the problems that we face just because we're human. Uh, you know, being human comes with a lot of problems, right? What's wrong with you people? No. You guys have problem free lives, I guess. I don't know. How many here have problem free life? I want to see hands. Oh, wow. You have a problem now because you raised your hand. Uh, so, wow. This is review. Last week, we wanted to lay the foundation, first of all, that we believe in a divine creator. We believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, all assisted in the creation of our world, particularly of we ourselves as people. And therefore, our creator, more than anyone else, knows our deepest thoughts and dreams and fears and aspirations, what makes us tick. Uh, he knows all about the problems of the human condition. And he also knows how those can be solved. So we lay that foundation right away. We looked at some philosophy as we look around the world. We know there are only two options of how we got here. Either we were placed here by a divine being who created us and put us here, or there was some sort of natural cosmic process that occurred. So those are the only two choices. And right, we have to make a choice, right, of how do I believe that I got here? And it's going to make a huge difference in the way we live our lives, right? Uh, either I got here through a process of millions of years of evolution. And by time and chance, things improved until we got to this glorious moment where we are with all of the perfection. OK, I'm being sarcastic. All of the perfection that surrounds us, you know, because evolution Weeds out the bad things and just keeps improving everything. And as I watch the news every night, I say, yeah, OK, that makes sense. Nothing but good news on Channel 4 at 5 and 6 o'clock. OK, I need to be nice, don't I? Oh, that's being sarcastic. I don't know how you can promote evolution and watch the evening news. I, I don't know. We've we mentioned last week that it's important for us as Christians to know and proclaim not only what we're against, but also what we're for. Giving an account of the hope that is within us. Uh, as we look at Genesis 3, we will see what is the root, what is the cause of the problems of our human condition. Which also brings us the help and the hope. So often we as Christians are known more for what we stand against rather than what we stand for. We mentioned also that as we move through this little mini-series... It's really the same two basic issues that it seems to always be all the way back to Genesis three. What was Satan attacking when he went in to deceive and lure away the man and the woman? He was attacking the authority of God's word, because what does he say there? Did God really say? He's trying to undermine the authority of scripture, which, by the way, is still the same strategy of our adversary. He wants us to doubt the authority and the sufficiency of God's word. Satan said, oh, God knows that if you eat that, see, he's afraid 
Because if you eat that that he told you not to eat, you're going to be just like him. And he wants to keep you down. He wants to be up here. He wants to keep you down here. Uh, You really need to take that so that you can be like God. It's still the same strategy, isn't it? Oh, you can do it on your own. You can do it in your own strength. You know, you got to find your. If I hear this one more time, I'm going to bang my head against the wall. You got to find your own truth. That drives me nuts. I listen to somebody rant and rave and scream and holler and run people down and be rude and selfish and destructive. And they say, well, that's my truth. Well, your truth is getting in my way. So, I mean, it's still the same thing, isn't it? It's still the same strategy. We looked at the scriptures and how God, particularly in the Old Testament, went to the leaders of Israel and said, you're telling the people that you're offering them help when really it's no help at all. Because you've separated yourselves from me. And if you separate yourself from me, then any help that you're trying to give is not really true help. He says you're going, you're taking the the people to cisterns or to wells to drink, but they're broken cisterns that can't even hold water. So you're trying to nourish and refresh and heal yourself from a cistern that's empty. The problem was they were trying to solve their problems without God. Boy, that rings a bell, doesn't it? Trying to solve problems without God. It's almost like some of the first words that a young child will say is what? Let me help you tie your shoes. No, I'll do it myself. I already told you the story, but it's a good one, and I love it. Sweet, precious, little, blonde-haired, tiny little girl. She trips and falls on the steps out here, and she's crying a little bit. I go, oh, my goodness, Rath. Oh, here, honey, let me help you up. No, I'll do it myself. Okay, wow, I thought you were injured and afraid and hurt, but we'll leave you be. Okay, I'll see you later when you come asking me for candy. Okay. Now we're into the new stuff for today. How can the doctrines or the teachings or the book of even Genesis, which many today say, even those who claim to be true Christ followers today are claiming that, oh, I think that Genesis is, after all, just a mythical book. It's just spiritual things In that book, especially the early parts, chapters one through six, especially, are just mythological stories that are meant to encourage us and teach us. Uh, And that is, well, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. But in our lifetime, this is new. This is one of the battles being fought in the upper echelons of theological circles today that even well-known they used to be solid biblical scholars are saying we've rethunk this. Is that a word? Rethunk? Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know if that's a real word or a Hoosier thing. Uh, we've rethunk this. And we're thinking that Genesis 1 through 6 isn't really historical. It's not factual history. It's more allegorical. But we're going to see today and next week that it is historical fact. And if we unhinge ourselves from that, 
then we're headed for big problems. Because Genesis 1 through 6 holds the answer to what is ailing the world today. So Bill and Karen come to see me. Not their real names. The names have been changed to protect the guilty or the innocent. Nobody here at this church. I would never do this uh, with something like this. Really struggling. Haven't been married that long. Second marriage for her. First marriage for him. Yeah. You already know you got problems. Baggage. They've only been married about a year and she's ready to leave. She feels like she's been misled about who he really is and about other things. Like she thought, seriously, she thought he had, she thought he was more set financially than what he turned out to be. A lot of things. She's very angry and upset. Marriage falling apart. How can scripture, how can God's word bring, and they're both, they both claim to be born again. How can the scriptures help? So we're going to keep that in the back of our minds as we move through this. So for their problem, for any problem, right? If you go to the doctor, you want to make sure you get the proper diagnosis, right? And sometimes it takes a long time for doctors to diagnose the proper condition. My wife went about a year and a half. This is a long time ago. A year and a half trying to figure out why she was in all this pain all the time. And they kept trying to put her on antidepressants, uh, which, by the way, uh, I'm not saying that's never right. I get accused a lot of times of saying things that I'm not really saying. I'm not saying that that's never proper to take something like that. But what I'm saying is uh, I wish Jennifer was in here, or Stephanie, because they've confirmed this for me. A lot of times when doctors can't figure out what's really wrong, they'll want to uh, prescribe antidepressants as a catch all. And Lisa said, I'm not depressed. If you knew my husband, you would know I couldn't be depressed. (laughs) Took them about a year and a half to figure out she had arthritis. She went on naproxen. Isn't that an arthritis medicine or something like that? No more pain. But it took them 18 months to find the diagnosis. Just think if she had accepted some of the previous diagnoses, diagnoses, it could have made it could have created even more problems. When someone comes for help with spiritual problems, we want to make sure that we have the right diagnosis. And in order to have the right diagnosis to help and to give hope. We have to know the scriptures. If you don't know your Bible, then you're not prepared to help. Counseling psychologies, notice it's plural, deal with personal problems to understand them and offer a treatment plan. That's what all these different theories and such out there about human behavior and personality are all about. People trying to help, but trying to help without God. So we'll be thinking about these things. Very, very good book. 
You know, I'm pushing books I'm like a drug dealer. I'm always pushing books. Uh, very easy to read. It's a new release. It's called What Happened in the Garden. Uh, it's a collection of different Christian writers addressing the fact that Genesis 1 through 3 is historical fact and what it means for us in the world today. Like I said, it's very easy to read. Uh, a new release, What Happened in the Garden. One of the authors in that book said, To properly diagnose personal problems, we must include a biblical view of what is truly wrong. The view of what is wrong is clearly portrayed in Genesis 3, and the details directly apply to the social sciences. What are social sciences? That's the study of how people interact. It's the study of relationships, whether personal or on a cultural level. So he's saying we can't understand how people interact with one another on a personal level or on a society level until we know what Genesis 3 has to say. There were two main reasons God sent a global earthly flood to wipe out every living thing and start over. One of them we tend to always remember, but the other one... We tend to forget the scriptures say that the earth was full of violence, violence. I'm so glad that we're not really that violent in our culture. Oops, sarcasm again. Sorry. The, the violence is shocking, isn't it? It's getting worse and worse. Violence was one of the reasons God sent the global flood. Because of what people were doing to each other. And why would that upset him so much? Well, we just read in Genesis what? Let us create man in our own image. In the image of God, let us create male and female. When we commit acts of violence against other people, we are committing an act of violence against the image of God. That's why it upsets him so much. I'm getting ahead of myself. As we move through this, we'll get more into this next week, but here's the little outline. There's a very robust model in Genesis 3 to explain the myriad of human problems that we struggle with. We, shall, we will see that the scriptures are sufficient. The cause of a lot of our problems will be taught in detail in verses 1 through 6, and then the effects of what caused a lot of our problems are hashed out in verses 7 through 24. And we'll do that. We're going to dive, oceans commotion, we're going to dive deeper next week, so bring your scuba mask. An example. Wow. Wow. An example of violence or a problem with the human condition. This is a stretch to think of something. Uh, Wow, I don't know what's wrong with me today. Maybe it's all that coffee, but I just feel like being sarcastic. I can't be like that. Though sarcasm is in the scripture. There are Old Testament books full of sarcasm. Those are my favorite books. Uh, Anyway, um, I guess because, and sarcasm is a form of anger, so we have to be careful. What happened in Munich, Germany, the last couple of days? 
what happened in San Bernardino, what happened in Orlando, Florida. Uh, there was another one recently, I'm forgetting. Uh, oh, Paris and where? Oh, Baton Rouge, thanks. Yeah, and Dallas and all that stuff. Um, take any one of those incidents as an example. Because something like that happens and we all know this is a very telling sign that there are some major problems. And so everyone starts screwing around and from a good place trying to figure out why people do these things. Why do these things happen and how can we stop them? We hear all kinds of different things. Now, remember, I'm not condemning this list. Don't. Accuse me of condemning this list. What I'm saying is this list is not enough because this list is finding ways to solve those types of problems without God. Well, let's 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 research the brain more because people do these things because something's wrong with their brain. Yeah, something is wrong with their brain. Something's wrong with all of our brains. Uh, Genesis three tells us there's something wrong with all of our brains. Uh, they don't function like they were intended to function. I thought I'd get some amens when I said there's something wrong with all of our brains. Right. I thought the wives would go glory, glory. That's right. Some people say we need to dump more money into it and, and find a cure. Uh, some people say, oh, we did this. Uh, we hear this a lot today. It's society's problem. Uh, there are a few movements in our country right now that are simply based on blame shifting. Uh, it's the culture's fault. It's society's fault. Uh, it's because people are deprived of a good standard of living or they're deprived of equality or deprived of justice. That's why they do it. So we've got to fix these things. Or it's a combination. But true love means that we find the correct diagnosis in order to treat the true problem. And that's what we'll see in Genesis. Now, this is straight out of the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association. Now, this is so you can see it. This isn't something I made up, but this is the world's definition of uh, mental illness or uh, why people do things like this. I got to come around here because I can't I can see this. I think a mental disorder is a sin. This is, I know it's a tongue twister. It's it's anyway. A mental disorder is a syndrome characterized by clinically significant disturbances in an individual's cognitive emotion regulation or behavior that reflects a dysfunction in the psychological, biological or developmental processes underlying mental functioning. Mental disorders are usually associated with significant distress or disability in social, occupational or other important activities. That's just a lot of words to say that someone that's struggling with mental, emotional things does so in their thinking and their behavior. And then it comes out as they interact in social relationships. That's what that's saying. But what's interesting about something like this is, yes, it's defining the condition but what is it not doing? It's not telling us why a person is exhibiting this kind of characteristic. Because they don't know why. They can define the problem. 
but there is not agreement and they don't know how to solve the problem. Now, there's a famous psychiatrist named Carl Menninger, and he died in 1990. He was very old at the time. Not a believer, not born again by any stretch of the imagination. But listen to what he said as he grew older. Whatever happened to sin? It was a word once in everyone's mind, but now rarely, if ever heard, it is only that someone might be. These are his words, not mine. OK, because uh, I, w- I wouldn't I would never call someone stupid. But he says, is it all o- at least not in public? Is it only that someone may be stupid or sick or criminal or asleep is nothing now a sin? Uh, this is an unbeliever, not even a Christ follower that said this. He did not believe in the doctrine of total depravity, but he's making the point that there is. He believed, even as uh, someone who's not a Christ follower, that there is right and wrong and people are responsible for their behavior. And he was very concerned about the American culture no longer believing in right and wrong. So I think it's telling when even those who aren't believers know that there's something deeper There's something deeper going on, and they're trying to find answers. Dr. Ernie Baker, uh, who works in the biblical counseling department at the Master's College, um, said, are, are we now so sophisticated that there is no soul sickness? Uh, But only mental illness. Now, he's not saying there's no such thing as mental illness. He does believe that. But he's saying the Bible's definition goes even deeper than that. The Bible is saying there's something more than that. Have we moved beyond the supposedly primitive idea of sin? Okay, stay with me. Some of you are are starting. I can see it in your eyes. Unclench your fists. Uh, I promise. You're like, "Mm." Stay with me. Here's the million dollar question. And folks, these are things that weigh heavy on my heart because I'm a shepherd. People come to me with really serious problems every day. Every day. And it weighs on me. And I love to help. And I love to open the scriptures. I mean, these are, you know, a lot of times we play church. We're here. Every, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Everything's good. I could see some of you get irritated with me because I, I look at you and I say, mm, I don't believe you. And then you get mad. I'm not demeaning any of these things. These things are real. Mental illness is real. Things, these struggles are real. But what I'm saying is I think we've settled for solutions that are too shallow. We can go deeper because God has given us the resources to go deeper than the labels that the world puts on our problems. And that's the thing. Sometimes I think some of you give me a bad rap with these mental, emotional problem type of things, because I like to use biblical words to label people's problems. I don't like to use the psychological labels that the world creates, because I think the scriptures Give us the most powerful, the most helpful, the most hopeful definitions. So hang with me, okay? I was just trying to fight you off so I wouldn't get tarred and feathered at the barbecue. So here's the million dollar question, right? Read it out loud with me. How does the doctrine of sin 
influenced the way we understand the term mental health or personal problems. So that's the question we're trying to answer. Genesis 3 specifically presents or introduces the biblical teaching or the doctrine of sin. And we ask ourselves, what role does that play in the problems that we struggle with? And it's a hopeful, helpful role. Now, here's what can happen. Talking about sin related to the mental state of others is hard. It sounds calloused, but that is not our demeanor. He, Dr. Baker says our desire is to have compassion, Colossians 3, 5, and to bear with others, Ephesians 4, 2, as we help them truly get to the root of their problems. See, I believe a scriptural approach to the problems that we deal with goes to the root, therefore bringing healing and hope. And worldly approaches only work with the symptoms because they can't go to the root just by nature. A proper treatment plan demands a proper diagnosis. A literal understanding of sin is crucial to the social sciences. A biblical view of counseling must include the doctrine of sin and what it has done to humanity. Now, that big fancy word, homardiology, that's the study of sin. You learned a new word today. He was like, what you, would you, what'd your pastor preach today? He preached on homardiology. Oh, is he a doctor? No. Uh, it does sound almost like heart. But the effect of sin on the human race, that's so important for understanding what we see on our TVs at night and what we hear on the news. Why do people do the things that they do? If we don't understand what the Bible teaches about sin, we're never going to understand what's going on in the world. And we're never going to understand how to help people. But sin has gotten this is this sounds so crazy, doesn't it? Sin has gotten a bad rap. But you know what I mean? You know what I mean about that? Uh, Talking about sin, preaching about sin, mentioning sin, because people say, oh, that's harsh. That's callous. That's unloving. Well, we're not saying, hey, you're a sinner. It's your own fault. Get over it. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, if I understand what the Bible teaches about sin, then I'm going to have some insight on the human heart and why we do the things we do. And then I'm going to have some insight on how that can be overcome and conquered and turned around for God's glory. But that's not going to happen until I understand what the Bible is saying. Someone famous used to always say, can we talk? Even if a psychological theory is making accurate observations, and even if there is a strong physical biological component to the issue or the problem, the diagnosis cannot be accurate if it does not include the immaterial part of our being and how it has been infected by sin. By the immaterial part, we're talking about what the Bible calls what? Our soul. Our spirit, our mind, our heart. Almost all of today's psychological approaches to helping each other dismisses the idea that we have a soul or that we have a spirit. Everything's body. Everything's material. Everything's biological. Everything's medical. Everything can be treated medically. 
and the soul and the spirit is totally disregarded. But when God created man, what does he what does the scripture in Genesis say? How was man created from the dust of the earth? But God did what? He breathed into man the breath of life. And if man and woman are created in God's image, what does part of that include? The Gospel of John says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in what? Spirit and truth. You have a soul which is eternal because God has a soul which is eternal. And you were created in the image of God. And a lot of the things we struggle with today are soul sicknesses, soul struggles, soul train. Yeah, that's what came to my mind. I don't know. We can go on, right? I'm a soul man. Yeah, I drive a Kia Soul. Hey, you know what? That's not by accident. I thought I thought if I'm a preacher, I need to drive a Kia Soul. So I didn't. Audi is what I want, but I couldn't find it in the scriptures, unfortunately. Now, I did, you know, I love tennis. Olympics coming up, U.S. Open. I was encouraged this week because in my studies, I found out that tennis is mentioned in the Bible. In Genesis, it says that Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. There's tennis. I'm so happy. The term heart is the leading word in the scriptures to describe the immaterial part of us. And is directly impacted by what happened in the Garden of Eden. Folks, we are not bodies with souls. We are souls with bodies. The scriptures make it clear that this body, you go to places, especially like in 1 Corinthians, uh, and it says what we saw last night at a meeting we had. We have the ministry in earthen vessels. Our body's called an earthen vessel. Uh, we see in 2 Corinthians 4, though the outer man is decaying, the inner man can be renewed every day. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, able to penetrate both joints and marrow, soul and spirit. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? If we're going to help people with the problems that they wrestle with, if we're going to deal with our own problems, the things we wrestle with, we have to start with the belief That we have an inner person, we have a soul, we have a spirit that was created in God's image to live forever. No soul ever brought into this world will ever cease to exist. Now, the destination of where we exist for eternity. There's a choice that has to be made there, but the soul is created to be eternal. That's why Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, God has set eternity in our hearts. There's a part of our inner person that knows inherently that we were made to live forever. We long for immortality. We long to live forever. We hate the thought of death. We we hate thinking about dying. We know we just want so badly to live forever. And Solomon says, yeah, that desire was put in you by God because you were created in his image, because you have a soul. So we are called to be soul physicians, 
soul physicians. What does the word sin even mean? What does the word sin even mean? It means literally to miss the mark. To miss the mark. What's the mark? The mark is absolute sinless perfection because God is holy and cannot tolerate any imperfection, any sin. Even the smallest, slightest infraction against him cannot be tolerated. So we have missed the mark. You don't believe me? Romans chapter 3. There are a few who are righteous. Yes, there are some. Isn't that Romans 3.23? Oh, wait, I got messed up, right? There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks after God. There is no one who understands. We have together become worthless. You don't see that on a Christian t-shirt. We have together become worthless. Welcome to the human race. And that's talking about outside of Christ. That's talking about being separated from God before we come to Christ. Hey, there's a lesson for evangelism. No one ever came to saving faith in Christ because they willed it through their own human effort. I get beat around, too, for saying, I believe the only real miracle that happens today is when a sinner accepts Christ for salvation. Now, that is a miracle because that requires divine intervention. Because not one of us left to ourselves would ever have come to Christ. Say, what are you talking about? I came down the aisle. I accepted the Lord. I'm saved. Yeah, that's what you saw with your eyes. That's what you felt. But the scriptures say that you would not have come to him if he had not drawn you. We all come into the kingdom kicking and screaming. That's just the way it is. I hate to burst your bubble. Some of us are in the kingdom and still kicking and screaming. But, you know, that's another sermon. To sin means even the smallest part of not conforming to the character of God, either in my actions, my disposition, my attitude, my thoughts, or even the state of my condition. Wow. Time has flown. The good news is next week's sermon is already done because it was supposed to be today's sermon. So So we're out of time, but... Here's what we're going to look at next week, Lord willing. We're going to look at the four ways that the Bible presents sin and why it's such a problem to the human condition. But we're not going to leave it there because we're going to look at Genesis 3 at God's remedy for the root of our problems, which is our sin nature. And we're going to see the hope and the help. And the wonderful things that God can do when we come to him and we put our full trust and confidence in his word to help us and to help others. So I know you're dying to know about it. So I know you'll all be back next week. So let's stand up. Let's pray. Close the service. The kids are going to come in. We have a couple things to do. Lord, I just pray so much. You know, we make our own plans and sometimes they don't come through. I mean, I had plans on what I wanted to cover today, but uh, in your divine providence, this is what you wanted us to hear. Uh, I pray that we would see, uh, I guess, as we leave here, that we have the answers for what is ailing the human condition.
And that answer is Jesus Christ. It is his death because at his death, he conquered the sin that that tries to pull us down, that tries to ruin us. And then when he walked out of that tomb three days after his death, the victory was complete. The enemy was vanquished. And we are called conquerors and we are called victorious. And we know that you've told us that until we see you face to face, we're going to wrestle. We're going to struggle. We're going to strive. The scriptures are full of this battle motif, this war motif, this fighting motif of what it means to live as a victor in a world surrounded by enemies. Uh, But, Father, we're confident that you have given us all the help we need to live lives that are pleasing to you in a world that hates you. So, Father, I pray that this week would be encouraged uh, because we have been saved. Uh, We have been redeemed. We have been renewed. We are a new creation. And the things that try to control us, you have given us victory over those things. So my prayer is that as we come back next week, we would really grasp onto that. Father, thank you for the food. Uh, I thank you for all those uh, for the last five weeks that have coordinated and put together vacation Bible school for the kids. All the cooking that's going on out there, preparing of the meal. We thank you for your servants. We pray you would use this food to energize us, uh, to strengthen us. I thank you for all those that worked in that trench this week out there, especially Don and Ron and just the, the hard work. I pray, Father, you would uh, bless all of these efforts to care for your people and your resources. Thank you for this great day. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for everything we see in creation that reminds us that you are there and that you love us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.